1: In advance. That's what prophecy is. It's history in advance. And the subject of prophecy, we've talked about it in the past, it confounds the critics and it confirms the Christian. Because this is probably the chapter of prophecy that completely, totally confounds the critics. Why, Rodney? Because get this, got a pen? There are 135 fulfilled specific prophecies recorded in this one chapter. Whoa. 135 specifically fulfilled biblical prophecies in 45 verses in this one chapter. And it's because of chapter 11 that, you know, I like to call them the higher critics from the lower pit. They like to criticize and pick apart. The book of Daniel and the reason being because of this chapter. You see, the book of Daniel, they say, couldn't have been written in the sixth century because the prophecies recorded in Daniel are too accurate and too precise. And so these critics, they say that Daniel had to be written after the fact by a fake Daniel, if you will, in 50 A.D., they say. So I have a question for them. Big is your God? I mean, think about it. It's just reason. How big is your God? Because if your God is the same God that said light be, light was, then prophecy would be no big deal. Say amen, saints. This is true. I mean, it all depends on now how big is your God. This is what this rests on. Remember, we are talking about the God who said light be, light was. He created everything you see. Everything that is, he is the creator of it. So if God is big enough to create everything, if God is big enough to call into existence light, then then this is also a God who is quite capable. As a matter of fact, might I add, we would expect him to know all things, including the future. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 through 11 says this, remember the former things of old, for I am God. God and there is none other i am god and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand and i will do all my pleasure see god declares the end from the beginning this is prophecy and again, as I prayed in my prayers in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, Peter calls prophecy the more sure word of prophecy. In other words, the prophetic word of the Lord is concrete, and you can count on it. Here's a simple outline for chapter 11. We're going to talk about two things. Here's the outline. The conflicts of the past, and we'll find those in verses 1 through 35, and the conflicts of the future. We'll talk about those in verses 36 through 45. So, the conflicts of the past. Daniel chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, say amen. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia. And the fourth shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he has risen, in other words, when he's at the top of his game, when he's on top of the world, his kingdom shall be broken up. Divided toward the four winds of heaven. Been with us in Daniel? That should sound familiar. Divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity or his kids, his children, nor according to his dominion with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be uprooted even for others besides these. Let's just stop right there, talking about the conflicts of the past, our first point in our outline. You want to keep in mind here, That the I, even I, in chapter 11, verse 1, is the angel that is still speaking. If you were with us last week, you know that there was an angel speaking to Daniel. You remember Daniel had been praying and fasting for 21 days, seeking the Lord, seeking an answer to this vision, seeking clarity to the vision. for 21 days. And the angel Gabriel shows up. And he says, I believe it's angel Gabriel. I mean, scholars will argue with me, and if you do, then okay, fine. God will show you I'm right when we get to heaven. Because they go, Who's the angel? Well, I really believe it's the angel Gabriel. And so Gabriel shows up and he says, You know, Daniel, he says, Man, he says, when you first started praying 21 days ago, I the Lord dispatched me. I was on my way. You were praying for 21 days. I've been coming for 21 days, but I have been hindered by the prince of Persia, who was Satan, hindering Daniel from getting the answer. The angel in chapter 10. Remember, chapter and verse is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit didn't do chapter and verse. Man did for easy read. So chapter 10 and chapter 11 go together. So you're going from chapter 10 talking about this angel still speaking from chapter 10. Many believe, as I said, to be the angel Gabriel. Now, you'll find that these two angels, Gabriel and Michael, they work together. Gabriel is the messenger. How so, Rodney? Remember chapter 8? He appeared to Daniel and gave understanding to his second vision. Remember that? It was Gabriel. If you fast forward to the New Testament, it was Gabriel who gave the message about Jesus and John the Baptist's birth. He's a messenger. And now he comes to give Daniel understanding of the future of Israel. Now, Michael, on the the other hand, Michael, he's not a messenger. Michael, the archangel, I like to call him the enforcer. He's the enforcer. Last week we saw Daniel fasting for those 21 days I talked about. Gabriel was heading to him. And it was Michael, the archangel, who did battle with the prince of Persia, Satan, Satan. So Michael, I I like to call him, you know, he's kind of the enforcer. He's kind of the Terminator guy. He does the battle. Gabriel gives the message, but they work hand in hand. Gabriel, the messenger, and Michael, the enforcer type angel. Now remember in chapter 10 through 12, remember I told you, it follows, we talked about last week, it follows chapter 6. So here we are in chapter 11. It's the year 536 B.C. You can write that in your Bible. It's the year 536 B.C. Daniel is still in Babylonian captivity. And the angel says, I'm going to strengthen Darius. Now, at this point, Darius joined forces with Cyrus and they took over Babylon. And you know, if you've been with us, when they took over Babylon, they allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland to rebuild their temple. In verse two, notice in your Bibles, it says in verse two, four kings rise in Persia and the fourth king was very rich and came against Greece. Now, historically, people ask me often, Pastor Rodney, where do you get your information? How do you study? Where do you get your info from? I just had lunch with a guy yesterday. And he said, how do you get your information? Where do you get your your your, your info from? Well, I get it from many sources. But here in Daniel, uh, particularly, you can find most of this information. Matter of fact, you know, talking about these prophecies and how they are specifically fulfilled, these prophecies, you cannot argue against them. They have been specifically fulfilled throughout history. So what you need to do if you really want to do a good study and be a good Bible student, pick yourself up a good biblical encyclopedia. That would be good for you to have in your library. A good biblical encyclopedia will tell you many of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. Now talk about these four kings that rise in Persia. The fourth king is very rich and came against Greece. This is exactly what happened historically. After Cyrus, three more kings came after him. And those three kings, I've got their names written down, but I cannot pronounce them. You would think I was speaking in tongues if I tried to pronounce their names. But these three kings, they came after him. And then a fourth king arose his name is King Xerxes. Sound familiar? Remember the book of Ruth? The same King Xerxes. Xerxes was unbelievably rich. He was—he amassed this huge army of two and a half million soldiers, which is a lot of soldiers for that day. He had a huge navy of, a hundred, of hundreds of ships. He was determined to wipe out Greece, and so he marched north into Greece at the Battle of Thermopylae. And he lined his boats up like a bridge across the Aegean Sea. And they engaged in this bloody, brutal battle with the Greeks. And Xerxes was hit hard. But he won the battle. But for 150 years, the Greeks never forgot it. And they wanted to get him back. So between verse 2 and verse 3, write it down in your Bibles, is 150 years. 150 years later, a king did rise and defeat them. And guess who he might be? Anybody know? Very good. Alexander. Notice in verse three and four. It's a prophecy concerning the great Alexander. In the past, we've talked about him at great length. Alexander was 18 years old and nobody had heard of him. By the age of 22, he had conquered all of Greece and Macedonia and Persia. And by the time he was 33 years old, he had conquered the whole known world. 18 years old, nobody ever heard the guy. By 33, he owned the world, conquered the world. Hey, that makes me think of somebody else at the age of 33 who conquered the world. Who would that be? Jesus. That's cool. Jesus. He conquered the world. Hey, somebody once said Jesus was the greatest thief in history. Because when you give your life to him, he'll steal your heart. Amen. And so Alexander, he owns everything. He's 33 years old. He whines, he cries to his mother. Wah! He says, well, I've got nothing else to conquer. I've got nothing else to do. I've got nothing else to live for. He throws himself a drunken, orgy, homosexual party. He gets drunk. He staggers back to his tent in the rain. Falls down on his bed before he goes in the room. He tells his servants, don't bother me. And they didn't bother him for weeks. He's laying in there in the bed because he walked in the rain. He got a cold, he got pneumonia, he got a fever, and he died. Interesting. He owned everything. And notice Alexander's kingdom. Notice in your Bibles. Alexander's kingdom will be divided toward the four winds. Did you see that in verse 4. His kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but it won't be divided among his children. And again, historically, that is exactly what happened. Alexander had a half brother. His name was Philip, who was mentally retarded. He had an illegitimate son named Hercules, and a son was born after his death. But they were all murdered so that none of them, none of his relatives, could be heir to the throne. And thus, his kingdom was divided to four generals. Remember we talked about that? Cassander, who took over Europe, Macedonia, and Greece. Lysimachus, he took over Asia Minor, or what is known as Turkey today. Seleucus, who took over Syria. And Ptolemy, who took over, anybody know? Egypt, very good. And these guys were constantly warring amongst themselves, and eventually they were overthrown by the Romans. Now, before we go any further, let me point this out here, because this is huge. Tucked away, you might miss it. I want you to notice the sovereignty of God here as it relates to governments, as it relates to peoples. Notice the sovereignty of God. Alexander will rule over mighty kingdoms, and notice the Bible says, and do according to his will in verse 3. And God says, no, you won't. I'm in charge. God says, I predict when you die, and I will predict who comes to the throne after you die. Notice none of the heirs from his family succeeded to the throne. Four generals succeeded to the throne. Now, what does that tell me? What does that teach you? God is sovereign. Remember I gave you the definition of sovereignty? Sovereignty simply means this. God is subject to none, influenced by none. He is absolutely independent and does whatever he wants to do. That's sovereignty. So behind the scenes of world history, we have a God who is moving peoples and moving governments like a chess. Piece, like a pawn on a chessboard. Now, don't forget that we serve a God who is behind the scenes, orchestrating every situation and government. See, God is not out in control. I realize that God is the one in control, not man. You got to understand that life is like a parade. Work with me here. God is like the Goodyear blimp. I'm thinking about Thanksgiving. Turkey, cranberry sauce, stuffings, food. I'm getting hungry. And Thanksgiving, we have the Thanksgiving Day parade. And they have the big parades and stuff. And you always have the Goodyear blimp. Is always, how's the Goodyear blimp at every parade? I don't know. It must be more than one. But God is like the Goodyear blimp. And so we are marching along in the parade of life. And we're just going along, doing our thing. And we got people lined up, march parade, you know, right, you know, dressed off of us. And we're doing our thing. The flags are out there. And there's people out there in the parade. And there's people here in the parade. And there's people back there. And we're all just moving along this thing called life in this parade. The only problem is you can only see where you are in the parade. You can only see your position in life. You can only see that, hey, well, you know, if you're in New York, hey, I'm praying by, da, 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 da. Oh, there's Macy's, the store Macy's, da, 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 da. Yeah, hey, Mom, how you doing? Yeah, da, 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 da. See, you can only see what, what you can see at the time that you can see it as you're moving through life. And so, God on the other hand because he is a good year blame he can see the entire parade he can see the beginning of the parade and he can see the end of the parade he sees the entire parade so sometimes even in a parade they might have to put up detours because maybe somebody blew a hole in the street we wouldn't all want all the parade people to fall into a ditch So they put up a detour and they reroute the parade. Now, while we're walking, I don't like that detour. What are they doing? I can't believe it. My life's all messed up. I'm walking in this parade. I'm doing my thing and there's detours and there's problems and this, that, and the other. And I don't understand. Of course you don't understand because you don't see the end. God sees the end. And God is up there in heaven in the Goodyear Blimp. And he sees, hey, man, if that guy makes a left right there, he's going to crash and burn. I better put up a detour sign. So he puts a detour, go right. And you go, and you go right. I don't like the detour, but the detour is good. I don't understand the detour, but God does. This is sovereignty. This is faith. This is walking this thing called the Christian life. You don't know what's going to happen to you tonight. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Why would you not trust God? Why would you not commit your life to him? Because you don't know he does. And because he loves you and he sees you in the parade, he's always orchestrating the road so that they lead you right to where he wants you to be. For I have a plan for you, says the Lord, a plan that is good and not evil to give you a future and a hope. I'm just trying to lead you. Would you let me? He's in heaven saying, Hey, he's in a good year blimp saying, Hey, would you would you let me do my thing? And you do yours. What's yours? Walk in the parade. Just walk. That's all. Try to figure it out. Just walk. God'll lead you. How's He do that? By the word. Gosh, this isn't in my notes. <laughs> he does it by the word. Because his word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And he takes his word and you love him and you take the word of God and God puts you the word. You love you walk by his word. So you always walk by his word. Amen, saints. <laughs> you walk by his word. You do what God's word says. Don't listen to people. Listen to God's word. So he puts his word on the left and got your word on the right, and you're always doing what the word says, and you're walking through life, but because you're within the boundaries and the rule of the word, you bounce off of the word here. Okay, yeah, you know, God's word is keeping you. He's the word of God, I been I do that, and been I do that. and I been I do that. And Bam, oh, that hurt. I been I do that. And you see, but the word of God is keeping you on the path. You understand, to lead you where you need to be. But you got to stay within this word. So God knows. He's orchestrating governments. He's a good year blimp. Show, d- d- orchestrating it all. And even here, Alexander, he is not sovereign. God is sovereign. Alexander would have had his family to succeed in, to the throne. But God says No. I've got a whole nother plan. And so these four generals come to the throne. Now, in verses 5 through 20, we have 200 years of recorded history, 200 years of warfare between two of the four dynasties of Alexander. We have the Seleucids, uh, Seleucids, which are known as the Seleucid. Empire of Syria, they are up north. And then we have Ptolemy or the Ptolemaic Empire, which is south in Egypt below Israel. Now, verses 5 through 20 are very confusing because there are several rulers from the same family in different time periods that have the same name. So, there are several Ptolemies. In world history, Ptolemy the first, Ptolemy the second, Ptolemy the third, Ptolemy the fifth. There's several. And these guys weren't very creative in their names. I guess after you have so many kids, I mean, you just start saying, you know, Shaniqua one, Shaniqua two, Shaniqua three, Shaquan one, Shaquan two, Carol one, Carol two. So they didn't have, you know, the creativity in their names. So these verses, in verses 5 through 20, there are different time periods led by different men with the same name from the same family. Now in verse 5, notice in verse 5, if you're with me, say amen. Also the king of the south, that would be Ptolemy, shall become strong as well as one of his princes, and he shall gain power over him and have dominion. His dominion shall be a, a, a be a great dominion. And at the end Of some years they shall join forces, for the daughter of the king of the south shall go to the king of the north, Seleucid, to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the power of her authority, and neither he nor his authority shall stand, but she shall be given up with those who brought her, and with him who begot her, and with him who strengthened her in those times." But from a branch of her roots, one shall arise in his place who shall come with an army, enter the fortress of the king of the north and deal with them and prevail. And he shall also carry their gods captive to Egypt with their princes. That's interesting. And their precious articles of silver and gold. And he shall continue more years than the king of the north. Also the king of the north shall come to the kingdom of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. However, His son shall stir up strife and assemble a multitude of great forces. And one shall certainly come and overwhelm and pass through. Then he shall return to his fortress and stir up strife. Let's stop right there. Give me your attention. History teaches us the king of the south is Ptolemy the first. And Seleucid the first was his prince. And they at one point were friends. They were allies at one point. But after some time, Seleucid became stronger than Ptolemy and they became enemies. And then some years passed. Ptolemy the is now Ptolemy the second. They moved on to another Ptolemy the second. He wanted to stop the fighting. And he's like, you know, can't we all just get along?